everybody and welcome back to Ginger Gerald you lucky bastard. Well I hope your new year's got off to a great start just like mine and that you've been keeping your new year resolutions just like I have whatever they happen to be. Now we've got a couple of ongoing matters from last week's minutes so let's deal with them first of all. Let's kick off with an update on the GGYLB coffee mug sale. Well, interest has been tremendous, but we've not quite reached the minimum order numbers required to make this a reality. But many thanks to those who have, rather tongue-in-cheekily, I believe, placed your orders nice and early in time for Christmas 2023. So let's see if we hit that magic number this week. By the way, you know that you can drink beer and wine out of these mugs as well, don't you? Or even vodka and Red Bull, if that's what you go for. That might just broaden the reach of my promotional campaign. I'm getting smart. Anyway, that was one pending. The other pending from last week's episode was, of course, the great big royal survey. Now, if you've not yet participated, don't worry, there's still time. All you need to do is head to my Facebook or Instagram page or check it out on my Twitter account where you too can join in the great debate. It's very simple. There are two photos side by side. One of them is me, your very own Ginger Gerald, and the other is Prince Harry. But the question is, which is which? Now, most respondents, to be fair, so far, have got it right. So well done to you. There's no prize, by the way. This is purely for academic research. But it's not as easy as you might think. Now, I'm still waiting on a response from the main man himself, Hazza, and I'll keep you posted on that one. I'm thinking that this survey might get a mention in the sequel to his new book, Spare. Maybe it can be called Stare. Anyway, moving on. You know how I'm always blathering on about wanting your feedback, ideas and observations on what to talk about, what you like, what you don't like about the show? Well, following last week's episode, which was 2022 is dead, long live 2023, I got exactly what I've been asking for. I got called, are you ready for this? I got called a miserable complaining old git. And there was even a suggestion that I should consider changing the name of my pod to Ginger Gerald, you miserable complaining old git. Now, I shan't be doing that as I've invested, well, millions of marketing dollars on the global development of the GGYLB brand. And anyway, GGYMCOG just doesn't roll off the tongue in the same way. Now, due to data protection laws, of course, I can't tell you who provided this valuable feedback for which I'm genuinely very grateful. But let's just say that the contributor, who I'm told is an avid pod listener, shares the same surname as myself. So I'll leave it to you to work that one out. Anyway, all feedback is good feedback, or so they say. So I'm going to take it on the chin and move on. Although I'm not quite sure how I'm going to avoid being an MCOG again today, as the theme of the week is the cost of everything these days. Now then, if I really was an all-complaining git, then now would be the perfect time to go on about how expensive everything is these days and how little things used to cost when I was a whippersnapper. 
So that's what exactly what I'm going to do for a while, if only to keep up the perception. A pint of beer at my local pub in England, when I was, you know, almost allowed to drink it, used to set me back 39 pence. Petrol, when I first got my car, which as you know was a luxurious brown Austin Allegro, an absolute classic, I wish I'd have kept it. Petrol was 40p a gallon. And my breakfast, on the way to early morning classes at uni, which was a king-size Twix bar by the way, was just a few p. I could just go on and on and I bet most of you could too. I can hear those of you out there who are a bit older than me will be saying, 39p a pint, that's a fortune. It was only 10p in my day, or half a bob, or half a shilling. But the average weekly earnings were probably about maybe 40 or 50 quid too, so good job everything was cheaper. And as for public transport, I remember paying 2p a journey in the late 70s. You bought your nice pink ticket from the conductor and you chewed it in the hope that an inspector wouldn't get on and ask for proof of payment. And if he did, or more like when he did, then you had to jump off the back of the bus at the bottom of the stairs where, fortunately, there was no door and do a runner. Well, that's actually 2p more expensive than buses are at the moment here in Mallorca. Yep, the local government has introduced free buses for the entire year for residents as long as you go and get your pass. So not all is doom and gloom and old gittedness, is it? Now we're getting warmed up. Let's stick with the nostalgia about costs and payments and money just for a bit of fun. I'm sure all of you know, or at least most of you had checkbooks, no? Now, own up. Did any of you ever send a check in the post for something but purposefully forget to sign it because you'd got no money? Then whoever you were sending it to, they'd reply to you by post and they'd return your original cheque saying, we note that you appear to have forgotten to sign your cheque. To which you react with great surprise and embarrassment, having just bought yourself a week or two to find some money. And then maybe a little bit later this was, a few years later, a cheque on its own wasn't good enough. They were too easy to steal and too easy to forge a signature. So you had to have a bank card as well. So now when you wrote a cheque, you had to write the bank card number on the back of it. Or in a shop, you had to show your card so that they could write the number on the back of it. And sometimes you had to give your home address, your phone number, your height, your weight. What a great invention that was. My dad refused to go to shops or petrol stations where they asked for a bank card as well as a cheque. He saw it as a lack of trust and he'd drive miles out of his way to go to the same Esso station every single time he needed petrol because they knew him. I don't think he ever had a bank card and definitely not a credit card. And if he did have either of them, he certainly didn't use them. I used to write cheques for a pound because I'd have no cash. So for me, this cashless society nowadays, it's not entirely new maybe it was a bit of my own making. Lots of places, of course, back then were cash only. Almost the opposite now, like pubs, for example. Imagine back then ordering a couple of pints and a money uh, and a pie 
and then flashing a mobile phone at a machine in the hope that it would magically extract the right money from your account. So you can imagine what the queues were like for ATMs on a Friday night in the centre of towns. It was horrendous. Now you can barely give cash away. A few weeks ago, and I have to say, there are no Weatherspoons in Mallorca or Mexico, or at least not to my knowledge. A few weeks ago, I was in Cardiff. Now, my first ever experience of being in a pub and ordering and paying for a round of drinks on an app from the comfort of my own chair. And that round of drinks duly appeared promptly and efficiently at our table without me having to fight my way to the bar and play eye tag with the bartender in my efforts to convince her that I was next in line. Not very personable or traditional, I grant you, but the vote for those of us who belong to the slightly shorter than average brigade, not such a bad development, you might say. Let's move the conversation on a little bit. How many of you lived overseas before the euro took over virtually the whole of Europe? Quite a few of you, I bet. Well, that was much more fun, wasn't it? Tons of people in Spain still translate euros into pesetas, and I guess they're doing the same sort of thing in France, Greece, Belgium, Holland, all over the Euro territory. I suppose slowly that'll die out as the generations move on. Now, I'm hardly the right person and I'm hardly well qualified to make judgments on the pros and cons of the introduction of the Euro. But being the sad, and lucky of course, bastard that I am, I really like paying for stuff in French francs or Belgian francs or pesetas or escudos and all of that lot. It sort of felt special and a bit different, maybe even a little bit privileged. I know we always got ripped off at money exchange booths, but it made being overseas that a little bit, yeah, different, distinct. Not just the language, the food and the smells, but even the money was different. And it certainly doesn't feel like that anymore. In fact, to be honest, just feels a bit painful having to spend pounds when I'm back in the UK because they're the odd ones out. Although it is a great opportunity for the banks to make a few extra quid off me. And those different currencies provided endless sources of conversation about how much your breakfast cost or how much a beer cost or whatever it might be. And of course, you compared it to the price back home, wherever home was. You'd look in your little wallet and you'd try to work out how much money you'd really got and how much you could afford to spend when you were in different places. You'd get a bit nervous handing over large sums in case your mathematical mind had played tricks on you and you'd right messed up and ended up giving them an absolute fortune. And as for checking your change, that was tricky too. But it's not all about Europe and the euro, is it? In the days of two and a half dollars to the pound, remember them, I always thought the USA was really cheap for everything. I remember once I went over there and I hired this huge car. It was in the mid 80s and it was a New Yorker the car was. It was white, it was open top. I guess it had, I don't know, two or three times as many cylinders than it actually needed and a bonnet so long I couldn't see the end of it even when I was sat on my little cushion to make myself a bit taller. I didn't really need it. I just rented it out as I had a couple of days to fill and it was super cheap. 
and I could just swan about looking and feeling great and feeling really cool, to be honest, which made me feel great with my little co-op plastic bag on the passenger seat. And filling it up with gas was next to nothing either. Now, apologies to you all. I know that hiring a petrol guzzling car of that size for no real reason whatsoever wasn't very environmentally friendly of me, was it? But we were a little clueless in those days. We're a lot more clued up nowadays, aren't we? So maybe I wouldn't do it now. Anyway, it had cost me a fortune. And for all those of you who used to live or, or do still now live and work overseas, how exciting and weird is it? For the first few times you get paid in a different currency, in the local currency. I absolutely loved it. My first foreign earnings were French francs. And my first ever overseas job, wait for it, it was in Versailles near Paris when I was a student and I used to coach hockey on a Wednesday afternoon to a bunch of school kids. I remember nonchalantly popping my first earnings into my pocket the first time I get paid. And as soon as I was out of sight of the boss man, I quickly opened the little brown envelope and worked out how much I'd just earned. Now at that time, it was pretty easy to work it out in French francs to pounds, because all you had to do was know your 10 times table. But not all currencies are quite as easy as that. Take Mexican pesos, for example. Well, that was a little bit trickier and the value against the dollar and against the pound seemed to change hugely almost on a daily basis. So you never quite knew where you were half of the time. Were you rich or were you poor? But to start with anyway, I definitely felt like a millionaire. Every time I got paid, I had all these pesos until I paid the rent that was. And as for Venezuelan bolivars, well, we were all millionaires there, but you had to spend your money really quickly by, because by the very next day, the price of your beer and your arepas would have doubled. You literally needed a backpack, not a wallet, or even a bum bag to carry your cash around in Venezuela. And definitely not something I'd recommend you do too often. Speaking of which, I used to stay in a hotel near to Caracas airport quite regularly, not really out of choice, but for some reasons, the flight timing timings were crap and it sort of forced you to fly in, stay overnight in Caracas before you could then fly out again the next day to wherever you were going. Anyway, it's the only place I've ever been advised to move the heaviest piece of furniture you've got in the room and shove it up against the door as soon as you get into room to make sure nobody else can, can get in. And I know for a fact that that worked a few times and kept people out. Let's come back to Europe and Swiss francs. And Swiss francs, of course, are still going. So congrats to the Swiss, of course. The opposite was true when I worked there. I couldn't believe how few I was getting. I'd count them up every time I got paid, hoping I'd done my sums wrong. And then I worked out just how many cheese sandwiches my paycheck would pay, but I'd buy. The answer was not very many. Definitely not enough to keep me alive until the next payday, that was for sure. The beauty of working in travel is that you often, not always to be fair, but very often you live in beautiful places, fantastic resorts, which people dream of coming to. And when they do come, it's the highlight of their entire year or decade or even life. They save up for sometimes years to go to the places that we're asked to live in for free and we earn our money. 
And the likes of us then call those places home. That's really quite a blessing, it has to be said, and a huge privilege. And I don't forget that. It's not lucky, of course, as you all know, because at some point you made a choice and you decided to make that life direction. But it's a massive plus. However, when it comes to income versus cost of living, let's just say that the travel industry is not famous for its high earnings and the destinations we tend to be based in, of course, as that's where the work is and where people want to go, they tend to be the most expensive in their country. Mallorca in Spain, Cancun within Mexico, there's just hundreds of examples of that and you'll know them all. Anyway, the cost of living goes a little bit beyond cheese sandwiches, doesn't it? In fact, stretches to all sorts of sandwiches and maybe even food in general, not to mention housing and energy. Now, as we always do on Ginger Gerald, you lucky bastard, we're going to leave politics aside, along with the reasons why, why things are so outrageously expensive these days compared to the average person's income. Things are indeed outrageously expensive. And I think those of you in the UK have maybe had it the worst. So let's not focus on negative energies too much on the well-publicised and monstrously priced things like gas or electricity, for example. Let's pick out three absolute bargains that are kicking around that should cheer us up a bit and stop us worrying about our bills for a few minutes. You know, Ginger Gerald tries to be a bit of a Ted Lasso cup half full type of a guy. So here goes. My starter for 10, street food. I'll use Mexico as my example, of course. You can get your very favorite tacos of carnitas or cochinita pibil or tinga de pollo for very, very little money. And they're absolutely delicious. And I bet the same is true in so many places around the world, Thailand, India, Turkey, you name it, local food made to order right in front of you. No posh restaurants with air conditioning. Absolutely fantastic, authentic and great value. Yeah, you probably need a well-trained constitution at times for the after effects might just outweigh the benefits of the great value. Second up of flights. Not all of them, of course, some are an absolute fortune, but there are some real, real bargains out there. When you only take a small backpack, that is, and you don't care where you sit or what time of day or what time or what day you travel, for a tenner, quid or euros, you can get yourself to the other side of Europe on a two or three hour flight. If you have a good look around, that's really absurd. And I know there's a very strong school of thought that says that it's not right and flights shouldn't be so cheap, but that's what they are. So flex your dates, flex your times, pack very, very lightly and head off for the same price as well, a cheese sandwich and a coffee at an airport while you're waiting. And if you're a Spanish island resident, which I know some of you out there are, then you get a massive 75% off the fare for flights between the islands or from an island onto the mainland. It's absolutely amazing. Do anywhere else give this sort of discount? Or is it just a slot over here who are really the very lucky bastards once again? 
So that was the second one. And at number three, and maybe this is a slightly controversial choice, this one, the internet. That's such a bargain too, isn't it? Most of the time when you're out and about, eating, drinking, at a sports club, in a public building, maybe at an airport or even on an aeroplane, access to the internet and so connectivity with the entire world, let alone to your TikToks and your Instas, is absolutely free. Imagine that. In the olden days, you even had to pay, not very much admittedly, but you even had to pay just to get a library card. And then the equivalent of a Google search was an hour-long search through a million cards in a little pull-out drawer or Slightly later, you could try to find the book you were after as long as you knew what it was called or who wrote it using the infamous microfiche system. Now, if you don't know what I'm babbling on about it, then you could do a Google search. Things go round in circles, don't they? Now, every shop and cafe you go into has its own Wi-Fi password and it costs you nothing at all. Unless, of course, you're the cynical sort and sort of assume, well, it's costed into everything you purchase, or even worse, that you they sell on your personal data. So you suddenly get overwhelmed with adverts for a load of crap that you really don't want. Typically insurance, electricity suppliers, in my experience, and maybe they do do that. I don't, I bet like most of you, I never look at the small print I sign up to. I just say, yeah, that's okay. If it means I can get the Stoke commentary live while I have my beer or coffee anywhere in the world. Having said that, there are still hotels, and I find this unbelievable, which insist on charging for internet access by the day. Outrageous, considering the logon requires you then to accept all of their conditions about marketing to you. Anyway, that's not most places, I'm pleased to say. So you've no longer got any excuse not to call your mum when you're away. No longer any need to find and queue up for a phone box with a massive bunch of coins in your hand. Anyway, they were my top three, but if I'm allowed to mention a fourth bargain, it's this podcast, folks. <laughs> it's absolutely free, providing, of course, you've got the Wi-Fi. So, folks, there's great value all round for you. Let's focus on that when we need to avoid a bit of financial depression in the world we live in, wherever we live. Right. I think that brings us to the end of this week's little episode. I hope you're feeling a bit more upbeat now than you were at the beginning when Gigi was living up to his, living up to his newly defined reputation as a complaining old git. Next week, we'll be back with more fun games, insight and observations for you. And as it'll be the last week of January, we're going to debate the subject of dry January or wet January. Who did it? And why did you bother? Do you feel any better about yourself for not drinking in January? And at what point did you go back on the source if you did? Does that make February super wet? And we all know where that conversation's going to lead to, don't we? Oh, yes. It could get a little messy next week when we get into some overseas drinking anecdotes. So if any of you out there don't want to be named or shamed next week and you're a bit worried about it, then you better better get a little brown envelope sent over to me pretty sharpish. Anyway, I'm really looking forward to that one next week, folks. But right now, it's time for a 
maybe a glass of tonic water with a slice of lemon. Bye. Thank, Thank you, Ginger, Ginger Gerald, for enriching our lives. lives.